Imagine learning in a small group intimate setting while exploring unique European locations. EU Vet CE Experiences offers race-approved CE seminars that combine half-day lectures with time to relax and discover captivating cultures. The CE sessions are delivered in English, allowing you to elevate your career while vacationing with loved ones. Experience the perfect blend of learning and luxury at EU Vet CE Experiences interactive seminars in hand-picked European destinations. Elevate your knowledge and recharge simultaneously. Visit euveterinaryce.com to learn more. So I can definitely say in veterinary school, toxicology was not in the forefront of my mind. And if somebody said, you know what, in about 10, 12 years, you're going to, you're going to be working, you know, in toxicology, I'd say you're, you're crazy. That's not even, you know, that's not even going to happen. Welcome to That Life Reimagined, where you learn about the abundance of career paths, including the challenges and successes encountered along the way. Today is an interesting example of that. Dr. Renee Schmid started her veterinary journey like many veterinarians, and then she started an anesthesia residency. Then she had her first child. Renee had to make some difficult decisions and deal with the emotions of those decisions. Renee's veterinary path was unexpected. She now is a leader in the Pet Poison Helpline and in 2020 became a diplomat of the American College of Veterinary Toxicology. Now, most veterinary professionals will encounter toxicology services in their life or career, including myself. And we get to talk about Dr. Renee's experiences as well as common questions in the toxicology field. So let's get to Renee and start where VetMed began for her. And I always like to start at the very beginning, because I think this is a really neat part of everyone's story, is when did you know you first wanted to get into veterinary medicine? I would say it was probably in eighth grade. So I had in seventh grade, we, our family got a basset hound puppy. And about a year and a half later, she developed lymphoma. And I had always loved animals. I have a special connection with dogs. That's just kind of my, that's my, my main species of the, that's in my heart. And she was, you know, like anybody else's story, I guess, you know, she was my best friend and she went, uh, she developed lymphoma. And at the time it was, I had two choices or our family had two choices. We could put her on steroids or we could send her up to the nearby university for kind of um, experimental uh, treatment, cancer treatment. They were just starting to do chemotherapy and things like that on animals. And so uh, to date myself, it was quite a while ago, many moons ago. But um, at that point, when she became ill, that's when I'd really just decided that's what I was going to do. I was going to help save animals' lives and there was never a plan B for me, even though many people told me I should have a plan B and that I should do something different. There was just never a plan B. Yep. I can definitely relate to that. <laughs> the school counselor saying, you want to come up with a backup plan or nope, nope. Yeah. Blinders. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it, I think you're a Kansas state like loyal, right? You went undergrad yeah. and vet, vet school. Yeah, diehard Kansas State alum. I um, I bleed purple and get down <laughs> to Manhattan every time that I can. And what a, a lot of the things I love about Kansas State, especially the veterinary college, is the 
the the community and the connection that's still there. I've I graduated 22 years ago and I can still go there and have kind of pick up where I left off with clinicians and instructors and if I need a consult, if I'm, you know, wanting to find something here or there, I can connect with any of them. Uh, an example of that was when uh, Hurricane Katrina was out, uh, happened many years ago, a, co- a classmate of mine and I, we wanted to go down to help, but we didn't have a connection down there. So we reached out to some of the clinicians at Kansas State and they had connections and got us hooked right up. So the um, the outreach is very large there. So I'm a very loyal wildcat. Yeah. Oh, wow. That is interesting. Now, you had said that dogs are kind of your your species of choice. So going into vet school, did you have an idea of what you would do after vet school? And did that change at all? Or did you kind of stay true to canine medicine? <laughs> yeah. So in veterinary school, my plan was to go back into general practice to likely go back to my hometown and the clinic that I'd worked at in high school and undergraduate and be a small animal general practitioner, maybe own my own practice, maybe not own my own practice. And it didn't change too much through veterinary school. Probably in my junior year, I started kind of getting an itch for maybe I'd I'd like to do something specialty wise. I did a summer externship at a referral practice, and I really was excited about the about the level of medicine that they that they provided and just the criticalness and the busyness of the practice. And so I thought, well, maybe that's what I want to do. But surely by the, you know, by my senior year, I was tired of studying and I was ready to tired of eating ramen noodles. I was ready to get out and just kind of have a life, so to speak, be an adult, um, not in school. And so I went into general practice for about five years and after several years, I was just kind of getting that itch again to like, maybe this isn't just for me. Maybe this isn't my, you know, what I'm meant to do forever. And I I just felt like there was maybe something different for me that was out there. And so I'd really been looking at internal medicine and anesthesia. And so I actually went into an anesthesia residency and I uh, was in that at Kansas State uh, for a couple of years. I met my husband, we got married and had, uh, had our first child. And mother's guilt took over um, at that point. And so I decided not to continue with my anesthesia residency and uh, did relief work at general practice, did emergency work, a lot of different, a lot of different avenues and kind of fell into toxicology much later into my career life. So did you end up going back to the same hospital when you ended your residency or did you find a new hospital? Yeah, no, we actually, we actually moved to a different location. And so I went to, um, did some relief work for some friends of mine who owned different practices, had an opportunity to be the veterinarian for a guide and service dog facility. So that was a really neat experience as well. And the, the town that we had moved to had a guide and service dog breeding and training facility. And so I was able to, to to help them, and that was that was really fun. And so, just my husband's also a veterinarian, and so with some different opportunities that he had, I kind of made the decision that I wanted to be a quote stay at home mom for for at least a while and put my career on the back burner and uh, 
and just keep my hands in it, keep my hands dabbling in it just enough to give me some sanity every once in a while and, and keep me in veterinary medicine. Yeah. This has come up multiple times and I did actually record on motherhood and, and parenthood in general in, in veterinary medicine. So do you mind sharing a little bit of like how you adjusted to being stay-at-home mom? And, and yes, you said you, you wanted to have some touch into vet med, but did you experience any kind of like changing emotions or anything like that that you maybe have seen other people experience or think they might experience? Yeah, definitely. It was a really a, an emotional roller coaster at the time. I was extremely aggressive in my career. I had very set kind of career path and career goals and and didn't really think about family life, so to speak, and till you know everyone kind of says as women not to be a uh, kind of a cliche, but you meet that person and your kind of world changes and your priorities change in life. And you decide that, well, oh, this is really the route I want to go into. And, and my certainly intention after having our first child was to continue my residency. It was something where I felt like I was failing my residency when I was with my daughter and I was failing my daughter when I was with my residency. And so I really just finally had to make a decision on my own to decide where were my priorities going to be. And I have significant respect for women who are able to, to be a, that full-time parent and that full-time professional and who are able to juggle it all. As a new parent, it was just something that I, I just didn't feel like I could do. And there was a lot of emotion there. And when I left my residency, I definitely had moments of felt like I was a failure, felt like I you know, I, I didn't do what I didn't complete what I'd said I was going to do and, and a, a lot of emotions there. But after several months, it, it all kind of fell into place. And I knew that at home was where I was meant to be doesn't mean that that's what everyone was meant to do. But that's where I was meant to be. And being able to be a still be a veterinarian, occasionally on my own terms during my own time, I think that helped a lot. And it really depends on what your you know, what your spouse situation is like. I have a very supportive husband who said, keep doing your residency or don't keep doing your residency. We're going to figure it out either way. And so really gave me that space to make that decision on my own. And through the years, as we continue to, you know, grow our family and they continue to do some work here and there, the for longer I was out of veterinary medicine full time, the more I kind of wanted to get back into it a little bit more and a little bit more. And so I was able to ease my way into it, which I think is what helped a lot with the emotional aspect of it was that again, I was able to do that on my time when my, when my mind was ready, when my, my heart was ready to, to, to move forward here and there. And I think that's what has really helped in my current position where I started out uh, very part-time and still was able to meet what I felt was a good balance between what I wanted to provide for my family and what I wanted to provide for myself mentally stimulating, challenging in a career, and then been able to continue to grow in that, in my current company as that, you know, as those roles, as the kids go to school and they're not home anymore. And as you know, the, their needs change and, and I'm able to devote more and more time to be again, more kind of aggressive, so to speak, with my career uh, goals. 
We would like to thank our sponsor, VetBadger, the all-in-one practice management software that puts relationships first. Created by working veterinary parents, VetBadger provides all the communication, team workflow, and medical management tools you need to run an efficient practice and get home to the relationships that matter most. In support of parents in VetMed, VetBadger will be offering a signed copy of the book, Pregnancy and Postpartum Considerations for the Veterinary Team by Emily Singler to everyone who registers for a demo between Mother's Day, May 12th, and Father's Day, June 16th. To register, visit VetBadger.com and find the link in the description below. Yes. So when you were gradually going back into the veterinary workforce, is that when you came across the Pet Poison Hotline? How? What, what is that story? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I've been with Pet Poison Helpline for about that, for just almost 10 years now. And I had been doing some remote work. I'd been traveling. We had been traveling for remote as far as like about an hour or so commute each way. And I just started looking for something that I could do closer to home just to turn that 10 or 12 hour day into not a 14 or plus hour day with the, with the travel. And I had heard of somebody who did pharmacovigilance work at home for an a, a pharmaceutical company and a veterinary pharmaceutical company. And so I, I reached out to her and she told me a little bit about the work that she did. And so I started looking for different companies. I reached out to the company that she was with to see if they had a need and they didn't have any openings at the time. Reached out to another company that we knew that was kind of a smaller company. And I thought, oh, maybe they need some you know, remote pharmacovigilance work. Maybe they, they don't do things in-house. And they put me in direction with Safety Call International, which is our parent company of Pet Poison Helpline. And Safety Call International does um, pharmacovigilance. They do regulatory work for the FDA, for the EPA. They do consulting work for um, human and animal uh, drug companies, chemical companies. You kind of you name it. That's uh, that's really adverse event reporting. It's kind of their side. And so I contacted them, and they said, "Well, we don't have any openings on that side of the business, but we are hiring for Pet Poison Helpline." And so just uh, a kind of, you know, turn of events of things. And they sent the job description. They sent the hours that they were looking for. And I just, I knew that that is what my family needed. And that's what I needed. Uh, the hours were great. So I could still be a home, uh, work from home. I could still stay at home with my kids during the day. I worked in the evenings uh, with Pet Poison Helpline. And it was something that then just has continue to grow from there. Yeah. Cause now you're a board certified toxicologist. So was it working with the pet poison helpline that you're like, I, I enjoy this and I, I want to dive deeper or is what, what was the story on going back to do a residency in toxicology? Yeah, definitely. So I can definitely say in veterinary school, toxicology was not a, in the forefront of my mind. And if somebody said, you know what, in about 10, 12 years, you're going to, you're going to be working, you know, in toxicology, I'd say you're, you're crazy. That's not even, you know, that's not even going to happen. And yeah, it was uh, without, without pet poison helpline, I, I wouldn't be able to be doing what I'm doing. I wouldn't have been able to become board certified for sure. And there, it's really kind of a neat process. 
I think of it a lot like the non-traditional dentistry residencies where you're able to continue working, you do kind of on-the-job training, so to speak. And so with the toxicology requirements, you, in order to sit for boards or to be eligible for boards, there's, there's several requirements, but one of them is that you are working full-time in toxicology and um, for a certain number of years. And so Pet Poison Helpline allowed me to meet that requirement of working in toxicology full-time for those um, specific numbers of years. And that allows you to be eligible to take boards. One of the other requirements might be like also publishing peer-reviewed papers um, in toxicology, a certain number of them. And and you know doing things and then and then by all means it's there's a lot of studying that goes on um, along that as well in order to actually be you know successful in those boards but definitely it's a really neat thing to consider for for people who say gosh I want to do something I want to do something a little bit more and you like toxicology I didn't know how much I would enjoy it to be honest I thought yeah this sounds like a really great opportunity for me but I just really found a great love for it because it combined my general practice experience. It combined my emergency medicine experience. It combined my anesthesia training all into one thing. And um, I'm still practicing medicine. I'm just not in a clinic uh, setting for that. Yeah. And I think when I reached out to invite you on the podcast, one of the things, and, and it's completely true, I think the pet poison hotlines. Uh, I know there's several, but all of those have been so huge in, dare I say, most veterinarians lives, <laughs> because I'm sure we have all had to call it or had a patient call it. We've you, we've had a relationship with those services. So it's really neat how you are able to impact the lives of pets and veterinary professionals at the same time as you kind of work with them on these, they can be really scary cases, <laughs> so, um, yeah. especially if you're a veterinarian and you have to call in on your own dog because that's real fun <laughs> to you. But <laughs> they they don't care that we're <laughs> veterinary professionals and they're supposed to be A plus puppies. I actually I put in um, Chat GBT. What are some questions that I should ask you today? And there was a really good question that came up around a toxicology. And, and so one of the questions was, how has technology changed the way that pet poisoning cases are handled? And what new developments are you excited about in the field of veterinary toxicology? Yeah, that's a great question. So I think that the technology has really helped expand our outreach. And a lot of times, you know, when, again, dating myself, you know, there was there were certainly animal poison control centers out there. Pet poison helpline was out there. Um, and it wasn't, it was something that we would use occasionally, but we still went to the textbooks. You know, we still went to the textbooks. Um, Vin was, Vin was kind of in, you know, in the mix of things a little bit, but we were still really looking at textbooks of things and really disseminating that information. You really relied on going to conferences. You didn't, there, there weren't webinars at the time. And so really to get that information out there. And so I think that technology has done an excellent job in allowing us to educate others on a wider scale, on a more rapid basis. You know, social media is huge. Uh, monthly newsletters are huge. Websites are big where you can put out 
you know, this product has been recalled and you can get that information out right away. Or we're seeing an uptick in the in blue-green algae in this particular region and we can get that information sent out right away. And that's also helped us be able to work in partnership with clinics. That's our big goal is to be, you know, as you mentioned, you know, that resource for veterinarians and professionals and pet owners alike, but to be in partnership to help get that animal out the door. And we can help to say, gosh, if someone says, gosh, I, you know, I, I can't get intralipids or I can't, you know, I, I, you know, my distributor is out of it. Well, maybe we have an idea as to where you could potentially find it. Or maybe, you know, we've heard, okay, well, the, this other clinic, we, we just heard that from another facility, they were able to find it here and maybe try that. And so I think with um, the, the, just the speed of the information that we're able to send out has been big with technology. Oh, that's really interesting. As we're seeing a lot of people want to evolve in their professions and their careers, similar to you even, you know, you mentioned you've really worked your way up in the company and taking on new and different roles. And so now you lead a lot of people, you help with the hiring and onboarding of a lot of people in this company. And so we had been talking about how you kind of see some people evolve and come in rather burnt out from veterinary medicine. And and you even mentioned some of them coming in and, and saying, it's like, I, I just need something to tell me that I did not completely make the biggest, you know, mistake of my life going into veterinary medicine, which is so hard to hear. But I'm curious if if you don't mind sharing a little bit of that experience of, you know, we, we talked about your story, but just kind of being a mentor and, and supporting others who might be going through similar challenges in their own profession. Yeah, for sure. You know, no matter what type of clinical practice you're in, it's straining, it's exhausting, it's taxing. It can be difficult because of, you know, compassion fatigue. It can be difficult because pet owners aren't always the nicest of people. Pet owners aren't, don't necessarily treat you in the way that they, that they should be. And um, staffing can be an issue. And the pandemic certainly caused an explosion in veterinary medicine and the, the needs for veterinary care and being able to catch up with that has been something that's an extremely slow process in the veterinary field. And so there's a lot of veterinarians and technicians alike where they're just, they're burned out from practice. They've been overworked. They've been overburdened. They've been, you know, over yelled at. They've been, you know, treated poorly and they are, they are looking for something different. Although in many cases, and I'm certainly an example of that, I really you kind of think of a veterinarian and you think of a practicing veterinarian in practice. You think of somebody who's in general practice, a specialist referral, something like that. You don't think about the hundreds of different options that are available as a veterinarian that don't have anything to do with a, a brick and mortar building, a clinic building. And so we get, a, we get many uh, applicants who come in and they say, I've been in practice for X number of years and when I maybe I just didn't like the hands-on portion of it. I didn't like surgery. I, you know, that, that really kind of stressed me out. I didn't like the, I didn't like all the, the noises or maybe I developed allergies and I can no longer really be in that setting where I'm around dogs and cats or horses or cattle or what have you all day. And um, it's causing a, you know, physical challenges. Maybe they do have more physical challenges where they can't be on their feet for so many hours in, in a day 
or they, again, they're just mentally exhausted. They're mentally and physically exhausted. And so a lot of times they'll see our ads and they'll say, Hmm, this might be good. You know, let's, let's try it. Let's see what, let's see what that's like. And they are extremely intelligent. They have years and years of experience behind them that, that you don't get from a textbook, you know, being able to make those clinical judgments of things that you don't get from a textbook. And so they come and they find their home here with us in a more controlled environment, a controlled environment. We have shifts, you know, you work specific shifts, you work specific hours, you, you clock in and you clock out and you, you're not there for three or four hours finishing cases. And you have an extremely supportive group. We we feel like, you know, we are, we are strength in numbers. And if we work together, we are much stronger than working apart. And so there's a significant amount of support. And, and we find people opening back up again and saying, I love veterinary medicine. I love my job. I'm so glad I didn't get out of it. I'm so glad I didn't go into some other type of completely different field. I'm glad I didn't go back to school to go into business or something different. I'm glad I stuck with veterinary medicine. Yeah. And for you, what what gets you most excited about veterinary medicine? I think that the possibilities are endless with veterinary medicine. I think that the we are as a profession slow to change, but there are many people who are excited about change and about evolving. And for a big part of that is to bring in what we can do to to save pets. And it's not just about the animal. There is an owner that's attached to those animals. There is a pet parent that's attached to those animals. There's a producer whose livelihood is delegated by the, the husbandry that they provide to those animals. And I think that the, the importance of and value of animals to emotional, financial, what have you, uh, aspects on people and family I think that's something that really motivates me to keep going in veterinary medicine because I want to be a part of something that provides so much um, so much good to others. Yeah. Is there a story that pops to your mind that is just one you enjoy telling? And maybe if it doesn't relate, that's okay, but maybe kind of pulls back to, to that why that you just mentioned and, and why you like veterinary medicine. I think it's a combination of stories. I think that it's more of a situation if I could. And it's those pet owners that call us. And I can remember having a pet owner in particular that called and she couldn't remember if she had given her pet, her pet's medication or the own, the pet owner's own medication. And she had broken down on the phone. She had just lost her husband. She had just been developed um, a diagnosed with Alzheimer's. And so she was navigating life very differently. And the medication that she was on, if the dog had gotten, had received that was going to be very detrimental to that, to her pet. And she showed a a great moment of vulnerability where she said, I just, I just don't know. And she kind of explained her story a little bit. And we talked and talked about how 
okay, you know, life is different for you now. Let's, you know, I suggest getting a piece of paper. Let's write this down, all the medications. Let's check a box. Let's put your medicine in in the bathroom. Let's put your pet's medication someplace else. And just tried to give her tips to help her a little bit while we were still helping her get to, now we need to go to the veterinarian for your pet because of what they got into. But here's some ideas that we can help, you know, to help you navigate your new, your new life of uncertainty. And we get many calls like that from, you know, somebody has lost their loved one. And so they just weren't thinking and they gave the wrong medication or they themselves are taking, you know, in a, in a medical crisis and they're taking things. And so we're there to provide that support to them in a sense of, you know, we're here, it's okay, we're going to help you help your pet and to decide if this is problematic or not. And sometimes it's just that reassurance, even when it isn't, we can say they're going to be okay. It's that reassurance that we were there in that moment of, of stress and panic and uncertainty for them. Yeah. Wow. I, you know, if you don't stop and really think about it, you could miss that kind of situation and what you and and your colleagues get to do at the pet poison helpline. And that can translate to a lot of situations that veterinary professionals play in is that we often are at a point where people have to be really vulnerable. <laughs> I think even for our own selves, there are moments when we have to be pretty vulnerable, but the pet owners that come to us often have to be very vulnerable as well. So at least I think about it over and over again is, is people get nervous about technology or it, it, am I no longer going to be needed? But that human element where, you know, if you're going to be vulnerable, you, a, robot or <laughs> a computer is not very helpful. We've all been where we called in and it's some robot person um, answering the phone, but an actual living, breathing human on the other end who can be empathetic and, and knowledgeable to get us through that vulnerable moment is like, I don't, I don't want to minimize the impact that that can bring. So thank you so much for yeah for doing that for our pet owners. And if it's a, <laughs> a veterinary person at the other end as well, supporting each other, I think that's, that's so important. Yeah, you bet. And I think that's one of the things you touched on that really well with technology too, and that human aspect for it. And, and technology is going to continue to play a very vital role in veterinary medicine, but there is that, there's that human component that we can never replace. One for the emotional aspect of it, but I think about it in toxicology as well. There's rarely an animal that read the book exactly from <laughs> A to Z and did things exactly as it was supposed to. And so algorithms in veterinary medicine really can only help us so far. And they can help maybe at the very beginning of, of a situation, be it internal medicine or dermatology or something but at some point, you've got to get your eyes on it. You've got to get your hands on it. You have to really wrap around that specific situation. And toxicology is a great example of that because depending on what the animal got into, how much it was, when it was, what's the breed, what's the species, you know, all these different things that come into play that you just can't really plug into an algorithm in the right, in, in the right way to get that good answer for you. And I, I see that with you know, internal medicine, with those you know, chronic cases, 
there's always a, a side door that needs to be opened and explored a little bit more. And so I think while technology is going to continue to help us get that information out that we need, as veterinarians, we will never lose that human component that's going to be really critical in managing cases. Yeah. Is that part of your onboarding, whether it's empathy or maybe some psychology skills in there? What kind of goes into your onboarding in in this unique setting? Yeah, that's a good question. So a lot of it starts in the hiring process. Um, I've, I've heard somebody use the phrase, hire hard so you can lead easy. And I've kind of adopted that in my life. And I think that our company does a good job of that as well. We have a a very layered hiring process where they meet many people. And most of our people who are our applicants say, gosh, I've never been through such a rigorous hiring process before. And so we look for that in the in the interview process, in the application itself. We look for some phrases or words that might show that they have, they show compassion and empathy. And we talk, we ask questions in the hiring process, in the interview process about, you know, how do you handle disgruntled pet owners? How do you hunt, how do you handle disgruntled staff? How do you handle, you know, kind of emotional, what do you, how do you relieve stress? What are, you know, some things, what some emotional aspects of that? And so that helps to guide us to show where's the, you know, does this person have, have empathy with them? Do they have compassion or, you know, have they kind of lost that, um, that the lost that component of them? And some people are very rigid. Some people are very black and white and these are animals. They, you know, they don't have a lot of, of emotional commodity to them. And, and so those don't really work great for us for our situation. And then in the training process itself, we have a quite extensive training process as well. And so we do talk about handling difficult callers and, you know, how to handle those situations. And we continue to work with them and mentor staff as they're going along. And they say, gosh, I had this, had this really bad situation. And fortunately our calls are recorded. And so we can listen to it together and say, okay, you know, here's how I would have handled it differently, or could you consider this word versus that word? And uh, extremely important, and you wouldn't think about it for a you know a quote a phone a phone consultation service needing to have that there. And um, it's it's a very important piece of our of our success. I bet. Last question before I open it up for you: What advice would you give either veterinary students or other veterinary professionals? And and do you have? roles for veterinary technicians as well? Yeah. So I'll answer the technician role first. Yes, we have well over 150 have veterinary technicians. Okay. And so they generally are on the forefront. They are answering uh, pet owner calls uh, that call in. They're also helping on our industry side. So with that parent company, Safety Call International, they're helping answer calls on that industry side for veterinary related um, cases as well. Advice that I would have is well, one to keep going. Don't give up on veterinary medicine as a veterinarian if you're burned out. As a veterinary student, keep your options open, keep your eyes open. I really wish I had not been tunnel visioned in veterinary school. I wish that I hadn't gone in saying, This is what I'm going to do and this is what I did. I truly enjoyed my time in general practice. But I would have maybe made a few, you know, different changes throughout veterinary school. Maybe I would have, I would have 
explored some different um, externships or internships that weren't strictly small animal kind of general practice related. And really keep your mind open to know that no matter what it is you think you're going into or what it is you do decide to go into, if it doesn't, if it's not filling that need that you have, that that fulfillment, that career fulfillment, uh, look for something different. The, the networking ability of the veterinary world is extremely, uh, extremely strong. And uh, the veterinary world is in itself is, is small, meaning that you know, somebody knows somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody who can give you some advice and guidance. So uh, keep an open mind is probably my biggest one and, and keep going. Don't give up on the veterinary profession. Yeah. Oh, that's really good advice. Now, for for you and the, the Pet Poison Helpline, if somebody wants to learn more, where would we like to <laughs> take people? Yeah, you bet. Well, thank you. Um, I would love for you to check out our website, petpoisonhelpline.com. It's full of information for pet owners as well as veterinary professionals. So veterinarians, technicians, practice managers, a lot of things that are helpful for you to grow in your education professionally but also things to help for your pet owners in your practice. We have uh, we have brochures available. We have infographics. We have a lot of different handouts that can be utilized for your for your clients. Uh, we also have webinars, and we have we have five toxicology webinars every year, and then we also have four or five wellness webinars every year. And these are wellness webinars that are geared towards people in the veterinary profession. And they may be on mental health, physical wellness, emotional wellness, uh, financial wellness. We had our first uh, po- uh, webinar earlier this year on um, legal, uh, legal potential, legal complaints. And so we have those. These are all race approved. Our toxicology webinars vary uh, on, on, the, on the specific topic. Uh, that's that you want to hear. They're all race approved. So that's great for those of you who are veterinarians or who are credentialed uh, technicians who are needing that type of race approval. And it's all free. So I would encourage you to look there. Also, if you are looking for a change, if you're looking for a change in whatever it is that you're doing in veterinary medicine, uh, check out, we have a career site too, that's on that um, through there. We also have Toxin Tales, which is a really fun monthly campaign that we do where we're trying to educate not only the general public, but also veterinary professionals as well on some interesting cases that we have every month. And some of them are odd ones and some of them are common everyday xylitol cases. But all of these guys had a happy ending because we want to share that and it allows us an opportunity to highlight the heroics of everybody who's out there in the trenches every day in practice and treating these animals. And so those are kind of fun stories to to look at and read and maybe decide you want to read up a little bit more on that particular toxin. Yeah. So speaking of different toxins, you're a toxicologist, you've done a lot of research. Do you have like a favorite toxin? I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, I do. Um, It's xylitol. It's, It's xylitol. And I love it because when we think about xylitol, you think about it being in sugar free candies and gums, you think about it as being a sugar substitute. Um, it fight it helps to fight cavities or prevent cavities from forming. And so it's it's really out there. 
But what's really neat about xylitol is it has so many other human health benefits. It has benefits for also just non-health related in the sense that it helps to increase shelf life by helping to prevent dry out of different um, products. So you'll see it in deodorants and skin gels and lotions. And it also has kind of anti uh, molding or anti-fermentation properties to it. And so again, helps to extend the shelf life of things. Um, they've done different studies with it to use it to help with wound healing. And the thought is that maybe that xylitol, you know, bacteria can't use xylitol for energy. And so it starves the bacteria and causes them to die off. There have been studies with its use in potentially helping middle ear infections in young children uh, there's been studies in rats about its help with type 2 diabetes. I mean, there's just all these really neat things about xylitol, but then to have it to be so potentially fatal in dogs is just, um, you know, it's just something that's really, it's really interesting to me and how the liver can fail, completely fail. And these animals with aggressive care can make a 100% full recovery with no long-term negative effects. Um, I think that's why xylitol just really interests me. Yeah. Well, that also makes sense too, that if it has so many potential, you know, benefits and uses on the human side, that we may just continue <laughs> to see this as a huge problem in veterinary medicine because it's so prevalent. Yeah, I think so too. And, and you can say the same thing, thing you know, well, what about grapes and raisins and different supplements and things like that? And, I don't know, for some reason, xylitol is just the one that it just sticks out with me the most because I think it is, it, it's so widely available and widely used. And it seems that every day we seem to come across a new product that has xylitol in it, and it may or may not be for its sweetening effect. Hmm. Interesting. Well, I'm glad to know that was not a crazy question. <laughs> um, as a nutritionist, we have like your favorite nutrients and things, so I didn't know. <laughs> Uh, awesome. Okay. So, uh, final four questions. The first one is, is what, what's something people may get wrong about you? That's a hard question talking about myself. <laughs> um, I think that I think a, that I try to have a, a sense of humor. I think a lot of people when they see me with work, I'm very dedicated to my, to my work and, and professionalism and, um, but I do like to be kind of, um, especially my kids will tell you that I like to embarrass them whenever I can. So I like to have a sense of humor and be a little bit um, goofy at times. Oh, I love that. And and that is your job as a parent is to embarrass your children. And so I tell them well. that every time <laughs> I tell them that and they put their heads down and they say, please stop, please don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. The second question is, do you have a, a hidden skill or interest? I think my hidden interest, which isn't hidden if you know me well, is I'm a very avid Barbara Mandrell fan, a country music artist, Barbara Mandrell fan. And I have a, a collection of you know, all sorts of memorabilia from her. I have a, a cardboard cutout of her here next to me in my office that has been with me since I was in fifth grade. And uh, most people don't don't know that about me unless they they know me have known me for a very long time. Very cool. Is it just something about her music? What stands out specifically about her? You know, um, I think part of her business side of it that I, I kind of subconsciously was attracted to when 
she used to have a, a, a show on Saturday nights um, on TV, a, a variety show. And I just really enjoyed it. And I really loved her music. And it's something that really stuck with me. And I saw her as a kind of a female power woman. You know, she was a she was a businesswoman. And gosh, you know, look all these things that she was able to do and success in her life and still have a family and still do a lot of things. And so I I think that's you know partly what drew me to her uh, and kept me with her as as the years went on. Yeah. Oh, I like that a lot. The third question is, do you have anything on your bucket list that you would like to do? A lot. <laughs> <laughs> Professionally, I have a lot of I would love to write more papers, more scientific, you know, case reports and and I I have a I have a a folder that has all sorts of different topics, different toxins, different case studies that we would like that I would like to publish because I want others to hear about them too. Um, on a more pro- uh, personal level, just just traveling more. You know, as our as our kids continue to get older, uh, my husband and I we talk a lot about the fun we're going to have again <laughs> once our kids are are in college or out of the house a little bit to to be able to travel more and to do uh, to do things and just uh, see see more of the see more of the world. Oh, nice! And finally, what is something you are most grateful for? Uh, two things. One, I'm grateful. Well, probably three things. I'm grateful for my faith. I'm grateful for my family. And I'm grateful for the knowledge that I have and the opportunity that I have in the the company that I work for that has given me the um, given me the opportunity. They took a chance on me um, hiring me as they take a chance on everybody. And they've really allowed me to um, to flourish and to grow in my professional career. And I'm extremely grateful for all of those things. Thank you for joining us on Vet Life Reimagined. Make sure you check out and subscribe to the Vet Life Reimagined YouTube channel. I put in a lot of work to make the video editions very special as well. Now, if you like this episode, you may also enjoy the episode with Dr. Emily Yunker, a veterinarian and doula. We talk in more detail about motherhood and a career in veterinary medicine. Also, in the episode with Dr. Bianca Zinor, we discuss navigating professional identity with career transitions. Both are fantastic episodes. Again, please make sure you click on the follow button in your podcast app and share it with someone you think would appreciate it. This podcast grows with your support. And thank you. I can't wait to have you join us next week.